Thank you so much to our sponsors, McMahon Law Firm, The Insiders, helping you get every dollar you deserve, 265-1100. And RC2 Realty Solutions, real estate investments. Robin Ring's got a brand new thing. Call 531-1722. Only in Jeff Styles, America. Hey, folks, and welcome once again to Storyville. Oh, El Jefe's Storyville. Hell, I'm not that old. I'm just 59. It's old enough. Um, I'm old enough to remember. Oldish. 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 Hell, Storyville. Old enough to remember the summer of 1986. I'm going to say circa 1986. It might have been 87. Um, it was the summer that a lion tamer, a lion tamer came to Lookout Valley. And the reason he came was to learn how to hang glide. He wanted to become a hang glider pilot. His name was Alan Gold. And Alan was an interesting guy. I'd say he was an interesting cat. Um, That would kind of be misleading because he had big cats. And I mean big, big, big cats. I came to the Chattanooga area in 1985. So I'd only preceded him by a year, and I came to learn how to hang glide. I, I was really kind of in between college gigs. I graduated with a degree in journalism, and I was just tired of school. I was really tired of school. I graduated high school with honors. I got my degree. I went to 13th, 14th, 15th, 16th grade, whatever, and I got accepted into six different schools to get my master's in journalism. And man, I just wanted a break and I wanted to make a little money. And I just, I just wanted to, you know, just do something other than go to school for a while. So I decided to come to Chattanooga, take a job and learn how to fly hang gliders. And I did. I figured I'd be here about six months or so, learn the sport, take up the hobby, have some fun. And then I would go on and, and, and do my thing get my master's and conquer the world, right? Well, I didn't. I actually really wired into the sport, loved it. I was flying every single day, working in the morning, doing news uh, at a radio station. And I was also being the super popular DJ at a club at night. I wasn't getting a whole lot of sleep, but I was living large. And I was hanging out pretty much any of the time when I wasn't working at Lookout Mountain Flight Park. And Lookout Mountain Flight Park had been around for quite some time. The the sport of hang gliding was born in the mid to late 70s. So I was not really far behind the the beginning, the birthing of this sport. And Lookout Mountain, for those who do not know, and the flight park, was and is the world's biggest, most successful school of hang gliding. And it's never changed. If this is something you want to do, this is really the place you want to come. And it happened to be adjacent to where I was. I graduated from West Georgia College, only about three hours away. And so I came up here, and it suited me. It suited me perfectly. And the people suited me. Virtually everybody there was from somewhere else. And uh, I met a, a girl, a lady, a woman. Met a bunch of them, in fact, but one in particular, 
And it just so happened I was moving to Vancouver, where I was going to actually go and get my master's, the school I had chosen, and she was moving to Cancun. And suffice it to say that neither one of us went anywhere, and we just kind of settled in. The following summer, this incredibly interesting guy shows up with all of these cages. Alan Gold was his name. And for people in this neck of the woods, no, he's not the guy that owned the one gay club in town, the one gay dance club in town. Chattanooga really kind of still is a big town, not a small city. We've grown. We've gotten bigger. We've expanded our horizons. Um, We've grown in maturity level, too, in many, many, many ways. We've become a mecca of outdoor sports. Hang gliding was big back then. Rock climbing was big back then. Whitewater paddling in sports was big back then. Hell, I'm old enough, I actually preceded the sport of mountain biking. Mountain biking was pretty much when you took your 10-speed off the road and hit a dirt trail. Now mountain biking is huge. Trail running is huge. Uh, caving was big back then, but we've got all kinds of sports now. I mean, stand-up paddleboarding, all kinds of things. But, you know, you, you, you came here for outdoor sports, and you found other people of like mind that had also come here, and your peer group was pretty much people not from here, and that's just the way it was. And so you got used to these interesting people that came from interesting places from all over the world. So Alan Gold shows up, and he's a lion tamer. And I don't remember where he was from. I remember that his home base was somewhere down in Florida. And one of the things that he did, though, was he traveled pretty much around the world. And it seemed like the Caribbean basin was a hot spot for him. But during the summertime was kind of an off time, and he wanted to come learn how to hang glide. So he shows up with all these cages with these big cats in them. Now, one of the reasons I wanted to do this particular story um, we're in the in real time as I'm recording this here on Storyville at FredPodcast.com. Is it's the year 2020, and if you remember back in the earlier part of the spring of this year, as the coronavirus pandemic began to hit, the world seemed to become fascinated with the TV series Tiger King. I'm Joe Exotic, otherwise known as the Tiger King, the gay gun cane redneck with a mullet. I am never going to financially recover from this. And Jason the Argonaut, the producer of this show, was among many who just were convinced that I had to watch Tiger King. And I didn't. I still haven't. You should. Everybody said that. I watched the first episode, and as I adamantly told everybody, I, I, I just wasn't that intrigued because I swear to God, I know these people. They just didn't seem that unique to me. I swear I know these people. They just, they just seemed like people that I live around. That's a typical day in Saudi. Yeah. Um, when I first watched the first episode, I, I literally said, what the hell is this? I didn't think I was going to make it to number two. The wife put it on. I made it to number two. And I was like, okay, it got better. And then rounded it out. So you should do it. Eccentric people leading eccentric lives who turn out to be adulterous murderers who have, I don't know, many wives and partners. And there's all kinds of subterfuge and dirty tricks. I'm telling you, these are just my neighbors. 
These are just my friends, my family members. I, I just it just didn't seem that interesting to me. So I, I, I just never completed, you know, the, the whole series. I must be the only person in America that did not. Uh, but I swear, I, I must have had three dozen people from around the country, old hang glider pilots, uh, friends, family members, as I just mentioned, who said, hey, is Joe Exotic, isn't that one of the guys' names? That's, yeah. He's the one in prison? Is it just Joe Exotic or the other guy? or who? Was that the guy that was up there at Lookout Mountain Flight Park that summer? No. No, it was not. He was not involved. But... It was an interesting summer. So just let me just tell you a little bit. And and I asked, I got on the phone this morning to look out Mountain Flight Park, still up there in Rising Fawn, Georgia. I still have the number memorized because back in those days, we didn't have all the highfalutin social media. We just had a phone. And we would call from down here in the valley in Chattanooga and say, hey, is the wind coming in from the northwest? We wanted to know if it was soarable. And they'd say, yes, it is, or no, it isn't. I still have that number memorized to this day. I can tell you what it is. Area code 706-398-3541. That's the number. Call it up, and they'll tell you which way the wind's coming if you want to. All right? And I said, is the, is the picture of Alan Gold and the owner of the flight park, Matt Tabor, who owned it then, owns it now, sitting on the, the, the launch ramp, with this huge, big African lion on a leash, is it still hanging on the wall? Just a black and white picture. And they said, yes. Would you take a picture of it with your phone and send it to me? And they said, yes. I said, please do. And they did. So go to Nuga Radio, the Facebook page. As I've said before, I don't do social media. Go to Nuga Radio's Facebook page, and you'll see a picture of the African lion on a leash and kind of the back of Alan Gold's head and Matt Tabor, still the owner of the flight park. Back in those days, it was a trailer on top, a trailer in the landing field, and the lawn tramp. Now it's just this huge, big extravaganza. They have hangars up on top. They make their own gliders. They have an RV park down there. They have pools, volleyball, you know, fields, and just it's just it's 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 an enterprise. It really has been a very successful venture for Matt and all the people up there. They tow pilots up. I got out of the sport for many, many years before towing became a big thing. They've got paragliding now. It's it's remarkable. It's a huge success. Congratulations to Matt and all the people. But anyway, so that summer, this guy shows up with all of these big cats. Really nice guy. And he was a pretty good pilot, too. I mean, he started on the bunny hill, the training hill, like everybody else. But we got used to having these big cats around, right? And um, just two things really stood out to me. One, clearly, having a guy walking around with a full-grown male African lion on a leash like a dog. It takes some getting used to. And if some of you of a certain age, some of you oldish people like me, might remember the old show Doctari. Doctari with Clarence the Cross-Eyed Lion. I mean, it seemed just like a household pet. It's a lion. You should never forget that it's a lion. It could turn on you in a heartbeat. People with Rottweilers, people with Dobermans, people with Chows. These are dogs they could turn on you in a heartbeat I've got a couple of dogs. I've got a blue healer, and I've got another dog that is hard to describe. 
It's a, a Catahoula. It's a, it's a Cajun breed dog that is very much like a coyote. She is a wonderful dog, whip smart, but she's got canines that just cannot be denied. And I'm always aware that she could rip my face off if she wanted to. Now, multiply that times 10,000 times. If a lion just decided to snap at you one time, that's the end of your life. So you've always got to be aware of that. But this lion literally walked around on the leash. Don't become too accustomed to it, okay? As long as it's on the end of the leash and the lion tamer is at the other end, things are probably going to be pretty groovy. But, but, but let me just tell you how you become unaccustomed to it all of a sudden. One day, halfway through the summer, I've taken off. And it's a good day. It's a booming day. It's a soarable day, which means I take off. The ramp is about 1,500 feet over the landing field. So in pilot parlance, when you say you get 1,000 feet over, that means 1,000 feet over the launch ramp. So that means you're 1,000 feet over where you took off from. That means now you're 2,500 feet over the landing field, which is where all the cages were. So I was 3,000 feet over. That means over the launch. So now I'm 4,500 feet over the landing field, which is where all the big cats' cages were. That's pretty high. I'm a mile and a half over the landing field. Okay, so, so I'm, I'm in my harness, and I'm flying. This is a good day for me. I'm a, I'm a mediocre pilot. This is at the height of my game, too. And this is a real good day for me, and I'm up there, and I'm in the wind, and I'm in the weather, and I'm pretty much at cloud base, which means you know, there's a big cumulus clouds up in the sky. It's a nice day, and all of a sudden, I hear this roar. This roar, a mile and a half up in the air, in the sky, and I hear this roar. As a matter of fact, I'm going to let you hear what the roar sounds like right now. That was not the African lion. That was the tiger. And it cut through that mile and a half of airspace like it didn't even exist. And it got my attention. It was like it was right next to me, right next to me. And you're not used to hearing this sort of thing in Tennessee, in the United States of America. You're not used to hearing this sort of thing anywhere in our hemisphere. And let me tell you who else isn't used to hearing this sort of thing, or pretty much anybody that you know, none of your neighbors, none of your friends, none of your family members, and certainly none of the livestock in Lookout Valley, Chattanooga Valley, the Tennessee Valley. You know who really didn't like Alan Gold's big cats that summer? The farmers and the farmers' cattle. And for those of you who don't live in rural areas, let me kind of explain something to you. The cattle business, people who raise cattle, cattle are just a commodity. Um, you don't have to be a dairy farmer 
to have to have cattle who actually give milk. I've never really figured out cattle farmers, and, and my stepfather is a cattle farmer. They just raise cattle to be able to swap them back and forth. You don't have to be a dairy farmer, but if you're going to have cattle, you have to have cows that give milk because you have baby cows. And sometimes they turn these cows into beef. Sometimes they just swap them back and forth. They, they raise cows just to have them standing in a field and eating grass. And they move back and forth from one side of the field to the other, and they swap them back and forth like, you know, top baseball cards. I've never figured out why they do it. It seems like a lot of work to me just to have cows moving back and forth across this big yard. And they sell them, and they swap them, and I never can figure out exactly why they do it. But they're worth a lot of money, and they just swap them back and forth. But you have to have mama cows that have milk to have the baby cows so you can have more cows and swap them back and forth like baseball cards. Doesn't make any sense to me, but it's a hobby. It's a lifestyle. All the cows quit giving milk that summer. Why? Because they kept hearing this roar. Let's hear it again. They weren't used to hearing this. Deep down inside them, inside their DNA, inside their molecular makeup, this was a primal fear, and it made them stop giving milk. They weren't happy about hearing it. The farmers, went, were, they, they were very displeased about the fact that their baby cows were beginning to dry up and blow away. The farmers themselves were kind of beginning to dry up and blow away. Many of us were unhappy about hearing this unexpectedly at 4,500 feet up in the air over the valley floor. It was weird, just plain weird. But we got used to it, and it was kind of fun having the big cats around to look at. But let me tell you, the, the African lion moving around, that was fun. It was a conversation starter. You can go look at the picture of having the big cat on the leash, and, and it was neat. You know, I could take my girlfriend up there, and, you know, she could pet the lion. I think it was Hemingway who said that God created the house cat so that man could stroke a tiger. Nice quote. Nobody strokes a tiger. Let me tell you who didn't come out of its cage. And he had panthers, cougars. He had all kinds of big cats, dozens of them. The tiger never came out of the cage. The second anecdote I want to share with you is this, and it has to do with the tiger. We're down in the landing field. At the end of a day of flying, nobody's in a big hurry to get away from the landing field. It's a beautiful sport, an aesthetically pleasing sport. The, the, the day kind of shuts off. The wind shuts down. Everybody kind of comes into the field at their own pace and lands, and everybody's playing hacky sack, and usually a fire is started, and beers come out, and, and, and doobies come out, and everybody's getting mellow, and they're breaking down their gliders, and they're sitting around, and the sun's going down, and stars are coming out, and the moon's coming up, and, and there's camaraderie. And, and, and Alan set his cages up, facing each other so the cats wouldn't get lonely. And he was getting prepared to take them down to Jamaica. I said that, you know, the Caribbean area was, was a popular spot for him to take his big shows. And he was actually getting ready to do 
his lion-taming show for us. This was going to be his gift to us. And it was the night before he was going to get to do this show. And so he was kind of getting revved up, and he was working with the cats. And the fire was on one end of the field, and the, the cages were all facing each other, and there was a bunch of beer on ice on the other end of the cages. And at one point he said, hey, Jeff, would you go down there and grab a six-pack out of that big tub of ice down there? And I said, sure. And so I go walking at a brisk pace, feeling pretty good about life, and I go walking between the cages, and I slow down as I approach the tiger cage. You only had one tiger. And I get up next to it, and for the first time, I really look at the tiger, and I'm close to it. Do you know how big a tiger is? Do you have any idea? You've seen them on TV. You've seen them in movies. Have you ever actually gotten up close to a real live tiger? Its head is the size of the hood of a Volkswagen. And I'm not exaggerating. They're huge. They are so huge. It's amazing. And I'm only a few feet away from this thing. And it's in a cage with bars with plenty of space between the bars. And I come to a full stop. And I'm looking at this thing. And I'm going, my God. It's huge, and a tiger has a stare. If you've seen Life of Pi, it goes into depth describing the tiger's stare. And let me advise you, there's a great book called The Tiger, and it's written by a guy who was a big safari game hunter. And if I'm not mistaken, let me see if I can. His name is John Valiant. The Tiger, A True Story of Vengeance and Survival. And I'm going to give you a couple of quotes real fast here. One is, the tiger will see you 100 times before you ever see it once. And this guy, John Valiant, was hunting a tiger in the wild when the tiger decided to turn the tables. And the tiger started hunting him. He barely got out alive. I'm going to give you another quote. He barely got out alive. He said everything he thought, the tiger knew in advance before he could do it. He became the hunted, and he is convinced of this, that the tiger knew everything he thought about before he could actually put it into play. Here's another quote. The impact of an attacking tiger can be compared to that of a piano falling on you from a multi-story window. But unlike the piano, the tiger is designed to do this, and the impact is only the beginning. A tiger is not something you want on you. I'm close to this thing, and it's looking not at me, but sort of through me. I am meat, if I'm even that. I'm not even sure if I'm in its line of vision, but I start backing away, all right? I'm beginning to feel this very primal DNA molecular fear like the cows were. So I'm backing away at this point. I'm thinking, you know what? It could reach me. If it reached out its big paw the size of a serving platter that you would put a turkey on, it could actually reach me. And my heart's beginning to hammer, and my breath is beginning to go fast. 
And I'm thinking, this is not a good place to be. Why did I even stop? And all of a sudden, I feel the cold metal of a bar against my back and my shoulder. And I turn around, and there's an African lion with his face right up against a bar. And I realize I've backed right up against another cage. And there is no place to go. One of those cats can reach me no matter what I do. And my brain is racing, and I'm thinking, well, this is a trap. There's nowhere I can go where one of these cats cannot get to me. And the only thing I can think of is don't run. I know now that I must be sending out fear pheromones, the smell of fear. And the last thing I want to do is run because then they know good and damn well I'm scared and they smell fear. And I'm kind of just beginning to duck down and I'm duck walking. I'm duck walking quickly without running. And now there's just cats looking at me everywhere. None of them are making a sound. I'm going to play one more little sound for you, too. John Valiant described this sound, and it was also described by Sir Richard Burton, not the actor, the explorer, the guy that discovered the headwaters of the Nile, the source of the Nile. And an explorer that has no, no equal. Um, he described the sound that a tiger made while he was eating the body of a human being. And it sounds like this. Yeah, I, I, the unlucky people that actually hear the sound of a tiger eating a human being, it purrs. It purrs while it is snapping the bones and ripping the marrow out of a human being. This is not something you want to hear. They're not as unlucky as the poor soul that's being eaten, of course. But an amazing moment. It truly was. So the fascination with big cats, I get. The fascination with Joe Exotic, not so much. Um, but what a remarkable summer it was. And I, I've described this to people, and like so many things in my life, only in Jeff Styles America, a lot of people don't believe it. But, I mean, the people that heard me tell that story, and then suddenly this Tiger King pops up, they remember me telling it, and they're just sure how many people like this could actually be out there in the United States of America. So they're calling me up going, hey, is this the guy? No, it's not. I don't know where Alan is. I'm going to try to find him. I'm, I've, I've already put a couple of calls in to the flight park. Matt's a friend of mine. He doesn't know where he is. I've already talked to him. If anybody knows where Alan Gold is, the lion tamer, whether he's in Jamaica or the Caribbean basin or somewhere in this world, I hope he's still out there. He didn't end up tiger meat. I hope he's doing well. I hope his cats are doing well. I really do. Hey, hey, Jason just found him. He found a picture of him, and that's him. When he did, when he did his show, he found him, and he's got this S&M bondage gear. <laughs> Serious talk. He's got this S&M-looking bondage gear. I don't know why lion tamers all have to dress up like they're, you know, getting ready to go into some sort of dungeon. But, I mean, that's what they all do. But, I mean, he's, he's a good-looking guy. They always have the long hair and all that stuff. He just did a quick search on his phone. See, that's what happens when you're a technophobe like me. You can't do those quick searches. I'm going to try to find this guy, and I'll do another Storyville, and we'll talk. But he, he, was, he turned out to be a real good pilot and a cool dude. I'm going to try to track him down. But I, my wife was the one who said, you ought to do a Storyville on that. So I just did. 
I hope you enjoyed it. And hey, the one thing, the sad kind of part about this is, you know, we're losing tigers. And I, and one thing I hate is when you talk to some stupid ass redneck and they go, by God, I'll shoot anything that's going to eat me. You know, people who go shark fishing, I'll eat anything that's going to eat me. I'll kill anything that's going to eat me. Well, I don't think that the chances of you being eaten in Tennessee by a tiger are very high. You know, I'll shoot a bear. I'll shoot a mountain lion. We are seeing an increase in bear population around here. That's a good thing. We're seeing an increase in mountain lion population around here. I don't want one attacking me, but I would love to see more of them in the wild. I see signs of them where I live. I live out in the boonies. I have seen a couple of mountain lions. I consider myself very lucky. I do want to see them before they see me. The chances of that happening are very slim. I guarantee you they see me before I see them, but I've been lucky enough to see a couple of them. I want that population to increase. I want them to stay away from me. I want to see them at a distance. I don't want them eating my dogs. I want those populations to increase. But let's do what we can to keep these magnificent animals alive and on the planet while we can. We don't have the right to eliminate species on this planet. Thank you for listening to Storyville. Check out that picture at Nougat Radio's Facebook page. Keep listening to Storyville and listen to Rockyology on fredpodcast.com. Appreciate you. Fred Podcast wouldn't be possible without the support of our sponsors, Kelly Subaru, Safe, Frugal, and Green, Riverfront at MLK and at kellysubaru.com, Dr. Brett Moldenhauer, Institute for Acupuncture and Wellness, and North Spring Cryotherapy, northspring.com.